Episode two of the podcast. Thanks for being here because I'm here a little bit, a little bit selfishly, right? Because you can't, you can't help somebody else. You can't share great information with somebody else. You can't be a positive influence to somebody else without doing the same for yourself. So selfishly, I try to uh, share great information, great philosophies, things I've learned, and then hopefully I always give credit uh, where, where I heard it and where I found it. And if I don't know, I'll tell you very few things that will be told to you in a philosophical way will be originally from me. Uh, I'm going to sharing things that I've learned and I'll give credit to where I got those ideas, philosophies, or strategies, but they will be how I applied them and what actually happened to me. And that's why I'm sharing them with you. So after the Tony Robbins, after going to the Tony Robbins seminar, I mean, I was fired up to the point where, I mean, I was really getting to an unlimited mindset way of thinking. And as I said before, things were just turning around for me on the sheriff's department, just because I kept gaining more skills in communication by going to the trainings that I was going to for real estate. Then I became a better communicator and I started applying all these things and I was developing rapport with people that can do things for me. And I was all of a sudden things started just getting better and better. I transferred to a different station. I had decided now one of the reasons that I came to, to California to begin with, not just because I was pursuing to go to a large law enforcement agency after I had left upstate New York a small sheriff's department in upstate New York where I was after five years and I always had it in my mind that I wanted to work for a large agency. So I was applying at New York City and then I got hired with the LA Sheriff's Department. But having in the back, back of my mind, I was focused on the entertainment industry. I had done stand-up comedy and it was in my mind that I wanted to learn and become a stand-up comedian. And so that began to happen as I came and joined the Sheriff's Department and took writing classes, which... Uh, is for another is for another episode, but lo and behold, I was deciding that, hey, one of my dreams was to be a stand-up comedian, to be in the entertainment industry, so I was pursuing those things now that, you know, to me, all limits were off. It was just up to me to take massive action and then uh, adjust accordingly on my way to worthy goals, and that really is one of the great things that I got from Tony Robbins is one of the... One of the secrets for a fulfilling life is to be satisfied, to be um, happy, is as long as we're making progress towards a worthy goal, we can be satisfied. Even if we never make that goal, it's not about getting there. It's just about making progress towards that because on the way, we can go somewhere else. We may just make other decisions, 
But when we're making progress towards a worthy goal, that's when we become satisfied. We're happily achieving. We are not trying to achieve to get happy. We are happily achieving. So for all you high achievers out there, welcome. This is your home. And it's just always a pleasure in life to try to get better, to become more, and share more with other people. I mean, that's the secret. Live a great life and then share everything you've learned with someone else. Because having a positive impact on someone else and making a difference in their life in a positive way, no greater joy that I've come to experience. And so that's why I'm here in the podcast and title today is my turnaround continues and my turnaround continued and I want to get to the point uh, so that we have that perspective the contrast right of me at my point in the sheriff's department with a negative attitude supervisors after me they're going to get me my career is going nowhere Uh, I've decided not to even work for the sheriff's department anymore and now I've turned that around things are happening Uh, I'm getting better jobs and in the end, I ended up going from where I was to now I'm being asked by a commander's aide in the sheriff's department, listen, the sheriff is making history for the first time he's having a float in the parade and your station where you're at really hasn't contributed uh, because of political conflicts they haven't really contributed to the to support this float and you could do a lot for the station and for the sheriff you if would you host a comedy show uh as a fundraiser for the sheriff's float absolutely so i i went from zero to hero in the department by changing when you change things will change for you everything else for the past six million years is going to be uh, pretty much the same, or 6,000 years of our uh, history, or whatever the year is, but it's pretty much going to be the same. Uh, Jim Rowe would like to say, it's pretty much going to be uh, periods of struggle uh, mixed with uh, periods of progress. So that's the way it's going to go. And so you make the decisions, and you make the moves that are going to take you to a better life. So here I was, all of a sudden, now I'm being called in uh, to produce this comedy show for the Sheriff's Float. And we did it. And I hooked up with uh, Mike Marino, who is a national headliner at the time. He was on the rise, great actor. He had decided to dedicate his life to stand-up comedy. He still wasn't a national headliner, but uh, he was up there and he was killing it in Los Angeles. And we teamed up and I opened for him. And we did it at Universal City Walk. I, at the time, I was stationed at the Universal City Walk, at the L.A. Sheriff's substation. And we put on a great show. It was a packed house, sheriffs in the front row. Uh, We had most of the dignitaries from the city of West Hollywood uh, who contracts with the L.A. Sheriff's Department. They were there, and the sheriff was so happy to have this show come off, and we made a good chunk of change for that float. And uh, the sheriff did go on to have that float in the Rose Parade, can't remember what year that was. I think it was 94, 95, 96-ish, around that time period. But uh, that was all because I started pursuing my comedy career. I had taken some writing courses. I had taken some acting classes. And 
I had gone to a seminar in uh, Big Bear Mountain. I had taken classes with Judy Carter for stand-up comedy on how to write and perform stand-up. And we had our uh, final show was a, was a show at Igby's in uh, West L.A. in Santa Monica. And you invite all family and friends to come. And then from there, you continue your comedy career, which really means you start with open mics and wherever you can get time on stage. And that is a hard way to go. And I had a following, people that wanted to come see me perform. Now, at open mics, you get three to five minutes. Now, if you bring, they call them bringer shows. If you bring a certain amount of people, you get stage time. Now, my people were coming to see me at these shows, but what was happening was they were having to pay somebody else and then they, to see me perform for three to five minutes. After first, they have to listen to maybe 10, 12, 15 other comics do their three to five minutes. And let's face it, at that level, 98% of all the comics are terrible and it's just gruesomely hard to watch. And so I, I was very conscious from the beginning when I was doing my stand-up comedy of my, my audience. I did not want to burn them out. I did not want to punish them. And having them, you know, get babysitters and make a night out to see me perform for three minutes, five minutes, and listen to 12 other people they have no connection with who are not national headliners and giving great entertainment. So I went to a seminar that Judy Carter put on later after our show, and I've been doing some open mics. And... Uh, I'm at this seminar that where they have booking agents giving classes, people on writing stand-up comedy giving classes, and one lady was a producer. And she just gave me an epiphany. She says, well, you can always rent your own theater, and you can have your friends and family or whoever follows you, they can come to the theater, and they can pay you to see you. And you can perform as much as you want to because you're the owner of that theater for however long you have rented it for. And if you're not ready to headline, you can hire another headliner because now you have a budget because they have paid you to see you. And I said, this is it. I'm going to produce my own comedy shows. And I got really excited. Remember, now I'm in the area. I'm in the mindset of no limits. So I'm off and running. So what do I do? I, so I found the Roxy on Sunset, the iconic Roxy on Sunset, where there have been so many great acts over the years from the 70s, 80s, 90s. The Roxy on Sunset. Billy Joel has performed there. Elton John. This is an iconic place that I've decided to produce a comedy show at. So I went to the Roxy on Sunset and contacted the manager. And he goes, well, it costs you. If you want to do a, a midweek, you can do a, a week for $1,200 for the night. And uh, then we'll set up the room for you. You'll have lights, sound. But you have to guarantee the bar $5,000 and or you pay the difference. And you have to provide a million dollar insurance policy and you have to provide your own security force. Now it started to become overwhelming until I, I got into it. Now I'm doing this. I know nothing about this, but I'm going forward with this. And I find out, well, I, I went to my insurance man. He goes, I'll give you, I'll give you a million dollar insurance policy. It was a couple hundred bucks, three, maybe $300. Uh, then the uh, Roxy itself says, well, we have a security firm that we use. And uh, so for two guys for the three, four hours, it'll be like 200 bucks. 
So I did that. And so then I started selling tickets to the show. And one of the, uh, I had two ladies and a guy friend of mine who were in my comedy classes. And so I decided to have them open for me because I was going to headline the show, but I didn't have headline time. I had probably, I stretched to 25 minutes to 30. And that was stretching, really. I had 20 strong, and I could probably get to the 30. And each of them had a good 8 to 10 minutes. And one of them knew Bert, uh, I can't think of his last name, but he was the uh, announcer for the Arsenio Hall show. And so one of my friends in the show, she was able to get him to open the show for us. So he he was our uh, uh, initial MC and announcer. And so I was filming this show at the Roxy and I was selling tickets to people uh, in the department and friends that I knew and tickets were selling fast. What I found out real quick was really the venue becomes one of the people in the show. <laughs> the, the venue is one of the stars. So people heard that I was doing a show at the Roxy. You're at the Roxy? You must be getting really good. Of course, they have no idea. I've rented the show myself. I rented the I rented the venue myself, but uh, so the show went off without a hitch. Filmed it; it went great, and I was happy with my performance. And uh, at the end of the show, uh, the 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 manager who was on site from the Roxy said, oh, "Are you guys all done? Are you out of here?" And I go, "No way! We're not leaving until that five thousand dollars at the bar is met." Now I know my officers can do this, and he said, "Oh, believe me, you made that." A long time ago. You're good. And so I got a nice letter of thanks, a little gift from the Roxy. And so I was off and running and producing my own shows. Now, it wasn't long after that. It wasn't long after that that I received the call. I received, I was working a specialized unit, and I received the call from the sheriff's driver. Like around 10 o'clock at night, the sheriff's driver calls me at home. I answer the phone. He says, this is uh, so-and-so, Sergeant so-and-so. I'm the sheriff's driver. Now, I don't know who we know who you are, but the sheriff's luncheon is tomorrow. He's just been reelected, as you know. So we got a big luncheon. We have press coming, and we hired Norm Crosby to be the comedian. Norm Crosby is stuck in an airport somewhere. He's not going to make it. And so the sheriff said that you would fill in and do the luncheon for him. And I said, of course I will. So the next day I was supposed to be, I was at the recruitment unit and I was supposed to be at a station helping with the recruitment event. And so I uh, called the boss and said, I can't be there. I got to be at the sheriff's luncheon. So I get to the sheriff's luncheon. Eight, 900 people are there at the Mont- Montebello. It was the Cannon uh, Entertainment Center in Montebello. And... It was a quiet cannon banquet and restaurant center, but it held, believe me, 900 to 1,000 people. So there's eight, 900 people there, all members of the department, and they're, celebra- and they're there because the sheriff, this is his first luncheon since he was newly reelected. And so now there's, here's a dais, and, and the only people on the dais are the sheriff, the sheriff's wife. Uh, there was a retired detective who wrote a book. He was there. And the uh, a chief, 
And so it's just us on the dais in front of these eight, 900 people. And believe me, there was probably 600 of the people in that room wondering what the heck I was doing on the dais with the sheriff. Even people in my own unit were thinking, I thought, what is it? Why is Cliff at this thing with the sheriff? Now, I really had no time to prepare for this. No time at all to prepare. But I, you know, I had canned material. I knew I could do 10 minutes of clean material. Now, I've got to do clean material. This was a time when there had been a couple of comedians who had done some corporate gigs or they they made national headlines because of their uh, uh, material that was inappropriate for the workplace. And we were, at the time, the sheriff's department was under a consent decree for sexual harassment. So everybody was very sensitive. So for me to be there for the sheriff doing a comedy show for his reelection, for me to, he entrusted that I was not going to do or say anything. As a member of the department, that would have been disastrous for him, my career, and, uh, you know, the press was there. And, And so... I was a little bit nervous about that, but I knew I had eight to 10 minutes of squeaky clean material. And so I never even thought about this ahead of time, but five seconds prior to me stepping to the podium and they introduced me, it just came to my mind. As I get to the mic, I say, listen, California can have some terrible disasters. We have terrible fires. We have earthquakes, but two days ago, we had a great landslide. The re-election of Sheriff Baca, and the crowd went crazy. They jumped to their feet, and there was like a five-minute applause, and the sheriff stood up, and the chief leaned over to me, and he said, that was really good. And I knew from that point on, I was golden. I just had to keep it clean, get through seven or eight minutes of great material, And I did, and it went well. But the whole point is, this was the culmination, really, of my turnaround. So here I was, seven, eight years before, right? I am just a pariah on the department. Supervisors are after me. They're calling in my friends. Don't hang around this guy. He's going to pull your career down to now I've gone on to get promoted to sergeant. And now the sheriff is calling me to provide a fundraiser for his float to now his reelection. The sheriff's luncheon of eight, 900 attendees. He's got Norm Crosby. They've paid probably big bucks to hire him. He can't make it. The sheriff thinks of me, call Cliff Yates, he'll perform at my luncheon. And that's how that came around. The career had turned around and luckily I went on to have a great 30-year career with the L.A. County Sheriff's Department. So if you're down, you can turn it around. And if you're doing great, you can set the bar a little bit higher and you can start on a new direction. You know, we can't, it's just one of the key concepts. You can't change everything in the blink of an eye. If you're going from Los Angeles to New York and you're halfway across the country, 
and you decide to go back to California, you can't change and be back in California in the blink of an eye. However, you can change your direction at the blink of an eye. And no matter where you are in your life, you can change your direction in the blink of an eye. And so that is the message in the eighth. So that's the story of my turnaround. And the message is you can turn it around. I don't care where, you know what you do? You start wherever you're at. I'm going to be another key thing that I learned from all my personal development gurus and uh, people that I've adopted as mentors. And that's, that's one thing you have to do. You have to adopt mentors, people that you model, people that you don't copy, but you model. Hey, this person, hey, she did this and this and that, and she got that results. I wonder if I started doing those things in a similar way, would I get similar results? And so you do that with three to five people. Now, I got two or three that are dead, I model, and I got two or three alive that I model. Now, some people I may model for different things. Hey, this person, man, you know what? The way they work out, their schedule, what if I did what they did? Could I get similar results in the health department? Hey, this person is really great at investments and finances. What if I did what they did? What if I learned what they learned? Now, I'll tell you, it's really simple. But I learned from Jim Rohn. Not too many people will do it. Someone makes a million dollars in their business. And they decide to write a book. And they write in their book exactly what they did, saying, if you'll do what I did, you can have similar results. You can be the millionaire that I am right now. I've written down exactly what I did, and you can do the same. How many read the book? Not too many. Not too many people. And why? Nobody knows. It's one of those things. It's one of the mysteries of life. But you don't have to be in that crowd you can take on new ideas, new thoughts, and when you do, you'll start doing different things. You'll have different results. And that's my turnaround story. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on one of the podcast platforms. And if you're listening and or watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel. Please leave me a comment. I'd love to hear from you out there. And uh, if you think this message might resonate with somebody else, please share it. Now, in the next episode... I'm really excited because I have a guest. Initially, when I hatched the idea for this podcast, I w it was going to just be a solo, solo, solo deal. Uh, so I was going to produce solo shows. But now I have actually a list of great guests that want to be on the podcast. And I'm going to put them on because they have great things that you can benefit from as, long, as well as me. I want to hear their story and what they did to get to where they are. And since they're willing to come on the podcast, I'm going to have them. And, but the next one is really important person. The next episode is going to be my mom, 87 years young. She's on the podcast. She's doing great. She's very healthy. Uh, she started working out about, well, it's been about 20 years now. She walks on a treadmill three to four times a week. And I'm, and not just for a half hour, she walks minimum two miles, 87, drives everywhere by herself, and uh, she's vibrant, and you're, well, you're going to meet her. You're going to meet her. Check into the next episode. It's my mom. I learned a lot from her. Maybe you can, too. Check it out. I'm Cliff Yates. Thanks, everybody. You should
Cause you're a work of art